Charlotte, North Carolina, and this recording is from one of our church services. For more information, visit our website at churchofphiladelphia.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the message. Let's go quickly to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22, starting at verse number 24. When you have it, please say amen. Come on, if you can please stand for the reading of God's holy word. We want to honor God's word and we're going to quickly let you take your seat in Jesus name Luke chapter number 22 starting at verse number 24 and the word of our holy God reads and there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest and he said unto them the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors but ye shall not be so but he that is greatest among you let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that doth serve for whether is greater he that sitteth at me or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at me, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father have appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as we. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You can be seated in the presence of our living God. And the title that we're going to be working with today is called What the Heart Needs. Amen. And as we continue with our current sermon series called Finding My Place in the Hood, we've been talking about finding your place in these particular hoods. We're not necessarily talking about neighborhood. You know, when we initially started with this particular sermon series, we talked about one particular hood that you don't need to have a place in, and that was falsehood. How we must come out of falsehood, how we allow society to lie to us. We lie to ourselves. You know, the lives that some of us have been living with, it's been a life, it's been a lie. So we need to come out of falsehood. And we followed that up by talking about boys in the hood, but we talked about brotherhood. How men need to be accountable to other men. And we understand there were some of us that are married and understand this. Understand, hear me, hear me. A marriage, your marriage is strengthened by other marriages. But men need to be accountable to other men. Amen. After dealing with boys in the hood, the brotherhood, we begin to move and talk about sister, sister. Where we talked about the sisterhood. How women also need to be accountable to other women. And the Hebraic. Word pictures showed us for both brothers and sisters how they represent a strong wall or the strong fence. And we know anything about a fence. A fence is designed to keep things out, but as well as designed to keep things that need to stay in inside. So in other words, if there are any gaps or any holes within the brotherhood or the sisterhood, then the enemy has a legal right 
where he can freely come in and attack the body of Christ. Amen. And so one thing the enemy, one thing the Apostle Paul talked about, he was talking about the unity of the body, the body being unified. Right. And so the enemy understands if he can keep this unity or if he can keep division inside the body, that he has free course to come in and bring division and he can interrupt and bring contention and strife inside the body. Amen. Right? So think about all the different ways that we've talked about how the enemy can actually come in and bring strife into the body of Christ. It, 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 we need unity now more than ever inside the body of Christ, how the enemy is bringing division all throughout the body. Amen. So it's important that we follow suit what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Amen. So afterwards, we begin to talk about marriagehood. <laughs> I, I, I know that, that that's just... <laughs> Everything is going to have a hood on the end of it <laughs> to go with the sermon series, right? But we begin to talk about the importance of marriage, how it denotes the covenant relationship and how this covenant relationship depicts our relationship with God. It gives the imagery of our relationship with God, right? So I'm just trying to just recap some of the things that we've talked about, right? These are both the Hebraic words for man and woman, ish, isha, right? And so when you take these different words, right, and that that you see enclosed in the circle, it begins or it brings about the, 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 the name God's, God's holy name, Yah. And, and, and typical names like Elijah, where you have the God's name on the end of some of these names, which talks about like God is my salvation or things like that, right? So we see if you fail to keep God in the center of your marriage, we understand there were two different fires that, that are housed, right? There was the fire of chaos and there was also the fire of the prince. Right. So if we fail to keep God in the center of our marriage, we understand that this fire of chaos will actually destroy the marriage. Right. So we see fire can be very destructive. But uh, I've also learned in, 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 in recent studies that, you know, at, at one point in time, the government many, many years ago, the government would actually intentionally set fire to some of the forests where they would actually burn, you know, the top growth so it can get back down to the undergrowth. Right. Which, which is Simply called regeneration, right? Uh, uh, so we understand that fire, it allows this new growth to come in. So we understand when fire burns, it has the ability for new growth to come, for recreation to come about. So I understand, but there is a destructive fire that would destroy some things, right? Think about things like houses or businesses that have actually burned down. That's a destructive fire. That is a fire of chaos. But the fire of prince, we understand the prince is someone that's of authority. He's someone that knows what he wants, right? And so in the Hebraic context, it talks about how he, he will not be consumed, but because he knows what he wants, he's a man of order, he's a man of discipline, he can actually go out and devour or conquer what it is that he's seeking. So it represents a good fire, a fire that brings about blessing, you know, and with this particular fire, it allows us to be led straight and it brings about happiness or joy or the joy of the Lord. And it brings about the blessings of God into our life. Amen. So we also talked about not, mar not just marriagehood, but we talked about parenthood. Right, because if you're married, and 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 if you know your wife like Adam knew Eve, y'all know we real people. We talk about real stuff, right? Right. There is the good possibility that you're gonna have some little ones. Right. So, uh, for those of us, uh, we we talked about parenthood, and we also talked about childhood, understanding, and we talked about three experiences of a man or three experiences of men, which talks about what your identity which also uh, uh, talks about your role or your function, 
And it also talks about your difference. So understand, we have identity as husbands, as wives. We each have a function or a role within the marriage. And we also have difference within the marriage, right? We also have identity, function, role, as well as difference as parents. And so, uniquely so, do children. Children. Now, how do we get to this particular sermon series, right? I told you how at my children's school, there's something uh, they do called finding my voice, uh, where they, 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 they do all these different types of uh, technological things where they, they make engineering projects or they make arts and craft type projects, and then they display it throughout the whole school, right? And so I'm just, I don't know anything, but I was a bad liar. Let me just tell you the truth. I was a bad, bad liar, and, and I'm so glad God delivered me from lying. So there are times, I, there are times I just tell a whole lot of truth, and I don't use any discretion. So y'all just <laughs> bear with me. Just bear with me. Don't judge me. Just bear with me, right? So uh, when 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 some of these displays are, you looking like, what is this? Like, oh my, what? What is that? Right? But it's the children's <laughs> artwork and all of the different things that they created that they put on display. And you go around, you admire all of these different things that the children have put on. They've worked so hard throughout the year to put on display, right? And it gives them an opportunity through the things that they created with their hands to, to, to actually find their voice. Through the things that they created, this is their ability to speak through their artwork and things of this nature right there. So the Lord began to deal with me about, you know, how the Apostle Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, verse number 10, how he talks about the signification that is found inside the voice. All right. So Bible says, well, there are, it may be so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. None of them is without power or influence. So when you think about all the different kinds of voices in the world, that being we know the voice of God, the voice of angels, the voice of men, the voice of animals, whatever the case may be, the Lord is telling us out of all these voices, there is not one voice that does not have signification on the inside of it. There is not one voice that does not have power or influence. Case in point, we can just talk about my favorite animal, a lion. The male lion roars, right? We see the signification or we see the influence or the power that he has because guess what? Any other prey animal that is near that roar understands, okay, you know what? He can devour me. Let me get moving. So we see the signification, we see the influence, we see the power and the voice of that of an animal, right? So just to see, let us see how clear the scriptures are, right? We all have a voice. But what brings frustration to any individual or, uh, dare we say, any animal is when the signification is not being heard in that person's or that animal's voice. All right? Uh, real men, you know, as a man, you can say something. We want to say something one time and it be done exactly how we said to do it. And when it's not, we easily become frustrated or easily irritated, all right? Well, the reality, you're irritated and you're frustrated because the significance that is in your voice has not been heard. So it leaves us being frustrated, right? Now, this is the thing. We all have signification in the voice. But what happens when that signification in your voice is actually released in the place that God has given you? Now, we know, according to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number two, right? 
verse number 8, the Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. This word put in the Hebrew context, you know, he placed. So God placed a man in his place. So we understand according to scripture, each one of us have a place. God has given each one of us a significant place. Even when you talk about destiny and purpose and all these different things, we understand it is God who has purpose that God gives each one of us purpose, right? And he gives each one of us a place to carry out the purpose, his purpose, right? Now, we, 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 we've dissected this before. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, verse 28, a scripture we love quoting, right? And we know all things work together for the good of them that love God and who are called according to his purpose, right? So the only one who truly has a purpose is God. God places his purpose on the inside of us, right? And so he gives us a place to carry out the purpose that his, his purpose that he has placed on inside of us to carry out. Now, we understand that the garden was a blessed place. It was a flourishing place. It was a thriving place. Why? Because the voice of God was already there. The Bible lets us know that what? Uh, in the cool of the day, the voice of the Lord will come walking through the garden, right? So we see that it was a blessed place. It was flourishing. Now, it was such a blessed place that God did what? In creating Adam, putting Adam inside the garden, he then tells Adam, okay, listen, I'm going to bring these animals before you, and whatever you decide to call them, that's what it shall be. So we are now witnessing or experiencing the signification that is housed in the voice of Adam as whatever Adam called it, that's what it was, Right? Whatever Anna came, that's what it said, and that's what it was. The garden became such a blessed place that the Lord was like, okay, he needs help. Because his role and his function was, the Bible says, is to dress and keep the garden. His role and function was to dress and keep the garden. So it became such a blessed place that the Bible says, well, you know what, no, no, put a deep sleep on him, took one of his ribs, and there he created woman. Woman in the Hebraic context is simply man with womb. We understand your, your identity comes from God, right? When you know God, God brings you to the knowledge of who you are. He then brings you to the knowledge of what the purpose he had placed on the inside of you is. But we also found out that God will utilize other individuals to, to, to bring you into the knowledge of what your identity is. So we see this because Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, right? Flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman. So as we jump back to marriagehood, we talked about how, because that was his wife, he was her husband. So one of the key points that we talked about, even in marriage, husbands help identify wives. Even when they gave you the Hebraic word pictures for the fire, it talks about how the man, his, his, his arm, he places or he works in the fire. And the thing that he puts in the fire is that of the woman because the Hebraic word picture for the woman is that she who comes out of fire. The husband helps identifies the wife. Now, so you know it's accurate and back it up with scripture. Jesus is the bridegroom. We represent the church who are the bride. Our identity has come from who? Jesus. 
right? So this is me just trying to lay a little bit of foundation to bring you back to speed where we were, right? So God has given each one of us a place. And inside of this place, we each have signification in our voice. And when the signification is released in that place, this place becomes a blessed place. A blessed place. So the hood that we're talking about today that you must find your place in is servanthood. Servanthood. And whether you believe it or not, know it or not, it is what your heart needs. What am I saying? Your heart needs to serve. You, the individual, needs to serve, right? Simple definition for service, one that serves others. Now, the thing is, what I found out, we all want to be served. Makes you feel good when somebody does things for you. But when you have to do things for other people, it makes you have to come outside of yourself. You have to lay aside your pride. You have to lay aside your ego. And you have to place someone above or before yourself. And the truth be told, most of us are so selfish. Let me... let me show you how God dealt with me about this whole selfishness thing. I never put two and two together at the time. Yesterday, we had somewhere to be. And I'm saying, listen, I cannot stand being late. Oh, Jesus. You know, when you're in a house full of women, you know, my wife and my three daughters, it's like, oh, my God, I can just jump up and I know what I, because I'm already thinking about what I'm going to wear. I pray, God, what should I wear? So it's already at the forefront of my mind. But women, they got to do all these other things. And it's just like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. But this is what God began to speak to me about being late. He said being late denotes how selfish you are, how inconsiderate you are of someone else's time. I said Lord, not I. Right? See, most of us, you would not consider yourself to be a selfish person if we were to ask you. Most of us unwilling to tell that type of truth about ourselves. I'm not selfish because I share. I've noticed we tend to share when you have little. But if you want to test whether or not you're a selfish individual, have plenty in your hand. And see how much you're willing to share. And if you don't necessarily have plenty, just look at the time aspect. If you cannot be on time for someone else's engagement, it proves or it points to selfish. Because we showed you one of the two things that God uses to look at your heart or show you where your heart is, is money and time. Because they say time is Where your treasure is, there will your heart also be, right? So if time is money, that's where your heart is at. Time is your most valuable asset, right? And if you're unwilling to just freely give your most valuable asset to someone else, it shows how selfish we are. But tell somebody, it's what your heart needs. Your heart needs to serve.
Your heart needs to serve. So we're here in the book of Luke, right? In the book of Luke. And, and, and Jesus, he's, he's, you know, they're having the Passover or the Last Supper. And he's, he's talking about somebody's getting ready to betray me. Now, this is crazy. This is how selfish the disciples are, right? He's speaking about some out of the 12 that are here, one of you are getting ready to betray me. That's in the previous scripture. So round about verse number 22, verse number 23, Jesus is actually saying, one of you are getting ready to betray me. But look what happens. The Bible says, and there was also a strife among them. They began to fight about who was going to be the greatest. But we've been walking with Jesus for almost three years now, and he's telling me, okay, the time is at hand. I'm getting ready to betray, and I'm going to be betrayed by one of you that sits at the table. And instead of taking in what Jesus just said, because mind you, we all know, we have already had the moment where Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, thou art Christ. Jesus responds, flesh and blood has not revealed the city. So we are now aware this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. Now the Messiah at the Last Supper, the Passover dinner, is telling us one of us at this table is getting ready to betray him. And our response to what he just said is, okay, and there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So we just disregard what the Messiah has said because we need to know who's going to be the greatest. You see how selfish that is? Lord, I don't have a clue why you got me going this way. But, but God knows why. The reality, you cannot serve with a pure heart if there is selfishness in your heart. One of the main components that we've been talking about in this sermon series, we talked about covenant relationship, marriage, covenant relationship, right? Brotherhood, sisterhood, covenant relationship, parents with children, covenant relationship, friends, covenant relationship. What we understand about covenant relationship, covenant relationship reveals things about you, right? For example, in my covenant relationship with my wife, it will reveal things about me, things that I might not have seen or or, or might not have been aware of about myself. But because she's so close to me and because we're intimate, and I'm saying intimate in conversation, right? She's willing. She loves me enough to tell me the truth. We told you, uh, 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 you know someone loves you if they're willing to tell you the truth. Even if the truth makes you get angry and y'all fall all the way out. Because one thing Jesus said, he said, listen, offense is going to come. It's going to come. You You can bank on that. Offense is going to come. Right. So the reality, we understand that we're going to be some truths that are going to come and it's going to offend us. We didn't come with the intent to offend you. Right. But we understand offense is going to happen. 
You know someone loves you when they're willing to tell you the truth, even if they run the risk of falling out. So she can reveal things about myself that, that I might have been unwilling to see about myself. All right? So covenant relationship reveals things about you. Let's take it a step further. Covenant relationship or for some of us, we may look at it like this, a working relationship when we say, okay, hey, I work with this person. With the fellow servant, we, we, we would consider it to be a working relationship. But do you understand working relationships can be covenant relationships? Because we work in the same field or in the same manner or do the same job, hey, I can relate to you. I feel you. I, I understand what you're thinking. You know what I mean? So it reveals things about us. So understand, a covenant relationship can also be a working relationship. It is working. That covenant is working to reveal things about me, reveal things about you. Covenant relationship. Now, they're in covenant relationship with the Messiah. But because of their own selfishness, they can't get past themselves, and they begin to court fight amongst themselves. Who is going to be the greatest out of us when the Messiah has said, but one of you is about to betray me? And our response is, yeah, 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 I heard what you said, Jesus. Yeah, 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 I heard, I heard Jesus, I heard you. But can you tell us who is going to be the greatest out of us? Forget somebody's about to betray you. Who is going to be the greatest? The reality, even though they understood he was getting ready to go through what he was going to go through, what I truly believe, they wanted to know who was going to rise up and take his place. Okay, when you're gone, who, I just need to know who gets to be the next Messiah. Who gets to walk around and multiply two fish and bread like you did? Will it be I? I just want to know who will open blinded eyes and cause the deaf ears to hear and cause the mute to speak. Will it be me? You know, and I'm pretty sure, even when you look at this particular account, Peter, 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 oh, Peter. Peter would always ask questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Matter of fact, it brings you into a good understanding when you ask questions. But sometimes Peter just seemed to be asking questions because he was dissatisfied with the answer. I'm not going to get that much up right there. Oh, yeah. Have you ever been where you were dissatisfied with a truth that somebody spoke to you? You didn't know. This is not what I expected to hear. This is not what I wanted to hear. I was expecting you to say this right here. But in turn, I actually said this, and it's not what I like. So because of my selfishness, it in turn will cause me to act out. Because this is not what I expected to hear. And beyond what I expected, it's not what I wanted to hear. You know somebody, and you sure can relate, right? Yeah. This was their response to what he said. Paso. Now, this is the thing. When you look at this particular account in the book of Luke, and, 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 and you compare it to the account in the book of John, chapter number 13, same thing. But John sprinkles a little bit more detail, a little bit more intimacy in the account. 
while they're talking and, and, and sitting around the table and eating and lounging, Jesus, the Messiah, gets up, takes off his outer garments. Because think about it. Uh, for example, when you think about someone like uh, 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 John the Baptist who wore camel's hair, right? Sometimes your clothes was a depiction of who you were. Your function and your role. Now we understand Jesus, he looked, talking about his facial features, he looked like the average person. But his garments could have been very different, that they might have been speaking to the fact that he is the Messiah. <laughs> Nevertheless, he takes off his garments, then ties a towel, <laughs> a towel. Remember, I told y'all God gave me something about towel and titles. In other words, to take off his outer garments, which sometimes is a depiction of who you are, I'm, I'm taking off my title. I'm, I'm taking off my authority, right? And I'm going to put on this servant's mantle. The Bible talks about how he tied a towel around his waist, which denotes truth. Having your loins girded about with truth. True, I am the Messiah, but true, I am a servant. What I began to like about John's account was that Jesus washed their feet. Jesus washed their feet. It's not that they washed his feet. Jesus, the Messiah, took off his garments and washed their feet. Why, why, why? This why this thing fascinated me. Because God, he got intimate with their common dirty places. When you understand them walking in all of that dust in Israel, it's customary, even in, in, in that Eastern culture, right? It's customary that even when you go in someone's house, you wash your hands, you wash your feet, and all these different things, right? That's customary. So, so one of the things that's going to naturally happen is your feet are going to naturally get dirty from you walking. There are no cars. You know? Your feet are going to naturally get dirty, right? But he was not afraid to get intimate with their common dirty places. See, uh, that should make you shout right there. The fact that, notice what I said, common. I know you saved. I know you have the Holy Spirit on the inside. I know you love Jesus with all your heart. But the truth be told, you still have this flesh back that you must deal with every day. And when you're not careful, the flesh will get the best of some of us, all right, which causes us to have common, dirty places on the inside of us. But I'm so glad that we serve a God that's not afraid to get intimate with our common, dirty places. Oh, yeah. See that mind that you don't think nobody can read? Oh, he knows every thought that you've already thought. Oh, yes, yeah. But he's not afraid to get intimate with your common, dirty thoughts. No, he's not afraid to get intimate with your common, dirty emotions and feelings. Because guess what? There are days that you can misperceive something or you can misinterpret something, you can misunderstand something, and guess what? It can cause you to have what? A dirty emotion or a dirty feeling about someone, something. But I'm so glad that God is not afraid to get intimate with our common dirty emotions. That blessed me. Same thing. So when we go back here, all right, 
Because servanthood, we must find our place in servanthood. Too many people want to find a title. But the one who had the most important title being the Messiah did not mind laying his title down or taking his title off and picking up a towel. Yeah. And see, this is what the body is lacking. Everybody wants to have a title and people with titles don't want to serve. But if we're supposed to be Christians or Christians, meaning we're supposed to be Christ-like, if Christ served, then why you with your title are too good to serve? Notice, this is what you find in the body of Christ. People are seeking titles. People are seeking recognition. But the servant, they understand, I'm here to do a job. Whether I get recognized or not, I'm here for one particular purpose, to fulfill a job or, or, or do this job. Can you handle that? See, and this is what you find in the body of Christ. Most people cannot handle not being recognized. You do something, they didn't tell me thank you. What is the real purpose that you did it for? Huh? Why are you really doing what you're doing? See, some of us, we do what we do because we're trying to change the perception of someone. We're trying to win someone's approval, their validation. Right? Right. We have to check our motives and our intentions of why we do some of the things that we do. It's important. Just inform. One of y'all about to betray me. But yet, who's about to be the greatest? He says, what? All right. Uh, uh, no, take me to Luke. This is Luke. They, they trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest. Fighting amongst themselves. Believers. What happens when the believers fight? When the believers fight amongst themselves, what happens? See, this shows you that gaps, holes, comes inside the strong wall or the strong fence. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4, verse number 27, need to give place to the devil. Right? Mind you, when you go up, when you go up in, in, in Luke chapter number, this same chapter, round about verse number three, it talks about how Satan, can you find verse number three in that same uh, chapter? It talks about how Satan, right? It says, then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Twenty-two and three. This is the thing. Satan entered into Judas, or Judas rather. But you know what? The most powerful thing that God has given us, separate and apart from his word and his spirit, is the ability to make a choice. Judas had a choice to make. Will I give place to the devil? And place is one of the significant terms that we've been speaking about. 
right? Give me the definitions for plays. This was a brief definition for place, right? He said, place, need to give place, need to give place. The area and space occupied by or intended for something to an assignment at which one regularly works for pay, the action for which a person or thing is specially fitted or used or for which a thing exists. Need to give place to the devil. So because Judas failed to make the right decision, he gave place to the enemy which allowed the enemy access to his heart. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Why? Because guess what? Remember, there was another voice that entered into the garden, right? We understand God was there, Adam was there, Eve was there, but there was another voice, and it was the voice of the serpent or the enemy. And guess what? The Bible, don't, it doesn't speak anything about Satan entered into them. He spoke to them. So what am I trying to say? The enemy can get access to your heart by merely speaking to you. And you know what I found out? If we're going to tell the truth, the enemy does not always say things that you just dislike. He says things to you that are appealing to you. It it piques your interest. It, It allows you to become curious about the things that the enemy is saying. To where you begin to give this thing, your ear to it, right? Well, you begin to pay attention to it. Think about it. And if you think about something long enough, it, it, it moves from just being a thought to becoming a real-life emotion. You now feel something about what the enemy has said. And see, most of us, we start battling with whether or not, uh, I feel like I should do this, or it feels right to do this right here. You know what I'm talking about. Don't give place. So Judas had a choice. So the point that I'm making, it didn't have to be Judas. Now, we understand the scriptures were going to be fulfilled, that one was going to betray him, but it didn't have to be Judas. So when the enemy comes in, it doesn't have to be you that gave the enemy access. Because let's tell the truth. How many days have you given the enemy place? And I'm not saying because the enemy has came and entered into you, because we know that's possible, because Scripture tells us. But I'm saying you gave him place merely off of him speaking to you. You entertained what he spoke to you. Yeah, you entertained that. Take, take me back to the Scripture. Uh, all right. So he said, he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. He said those that are in authority, right? Even them, they want people to say good things about them. He says, I, 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 get you. I get you. So in other words, they want, think about all the different things that were being heralded out about Jesus, out of all the different miracles and things that he has sent. As a disciple being up close, being a part of this, you would like that attention too. And see, the truth be told, many of us don't know how to handle certain attention that comes our way. Even though we crave it, that's why we live on Facebook. We live on Twitter because, again, we're seeking approval. We're seeking validation. We we just want attention. We want to know that we matter. But the thing is, Christ understood who he was. He was never in question. He was never in doubt about who he was. But yet he chose 12 men. 
who had to come into the knowledge of who they were, struggle with wanting attention. All right? Y'all know. Right? <laughs> That's why we, we stay. We stay forever trying to get the right light. We stay trying to get the right light for the perfect selfie. I don't know what that's about. I'm just saying. I just, I just, I just, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Go to, he said, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. If you're going to be great, then you must be the least. And it becomes very difficult for a person who's seeking that level of attention to make themselves become the least. I, I, for, for all my life, for as long as I can remember, this is how some of us feel. I've been trying to make sure people notice me. I've been trying to make sure they hear me. I've been trying to make sure they see me. And now that I have been with Jesus, I have been seen quite a bit. Thousands of people have seen me. Right? Holding his robe. Go cheering for him. Do it, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. And then Jesus gave me a little power, and I was able to go do some of the things that Jesus did. Oh, come on. When somebody come up to you like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for getting my daughter free. If you are not secure in who you are, your insecurities will get the best of you. And you'll begin to feed off of this attention. You will tell yourself you have to have it. But you don't really understand just how much your heart needs to serve. Because serving keeps you what? Humble. Serving keeps you humble. And without serving, guess what? Your pride will go unchecked. Your ego will go unchecked. Your thirst will go unchecked. Your need for attention or approval or validation will go unchecked. But serving keeps this stuff in check. Because guess what? How many times you really paid attention to the person who was serving you waiting on you at the table? Most of you, you looked at their name tag just to be able to call them by their name. But have you ever paid attention to their face, the struggle that was in their face? Oh, y'all not going to talk to me. Have you ever paid attention to the burden that they feel that they're carrying right now? Have you ever been sensing up to figure, okay, listen, they're struggling. They're so behind with your order because they're having a bad day. And see, you get so mad because they're taking their time with your order. But you don't realize, guess what? The customer that sat at this table before you got here mistreated them, mishandled them. And guess what? You taking all your frustration out of them. When they try not to spit in your food, they try not to cuss you out because of how someone else just mishandled them. When was the last time you looked in their face and saw the person? See, too many times you see the role and the, oh, too many times all you see is the function and the role. No, this is your job. You're supposed to serve me. I didn't tell you to work here. No, that is a real life person that is actually waiting on you. When was the last time you saw the person and not the role? Because guess what? The first time you feel mishandled or you feel like somebody's mistreating you, you don't want them paying attention to the role that you were out. You want them to see you, the individual. 
Oh, we know you're not paying attention to the individual. You're still looking at the role because of how you tip. Oh, whether they gave you good service or not, you should have tipped them. They don't deserve no good tip. I had to ask them to bring my soul to bed. The devil is a liar. That is an individual with real issue. They probably had bad customers that came before you, and they're still trying to press and work their way through their bad experience and serve you. No, stop seeing the badge or the name tag. See the individual. Don't just see the role or the function, but see the individual. For example, as a pastor, many times people don't see me, the individual, they see the role. Well, you the pastor. There's just certain things they expect me to do because I'm the pastor. And when you're up and coming, church, meaning you're not as large quite yet, there's just certain things it's expected of me because I'm the pastor. People will forget that I have a wife. I have small children who still needs my care. You understand? I still have a household that still needs my attention. You understand what I'm saying? Especially when I'm teaching you and training you to pray for yourself. I don't have a problem praying for you, praying with you, counseling, whatever the case may be. But I'm saying there are some days you didn't even need my... Just say you wanted my attention. Because some things, that's all it is. You just wanted some attention. And so you know that it doesn't get perverted. Or so you know that this thing doesn't go way out here to left field. Pass up being somebody safe to talk about. Let's just be real. Right? So, so the reality, sometimes you have to see the, you got to see the individual. Don't just see the role and the function. It's gone. With the Holy Spirit, it's gone. You got to listen to the podcast. I don't know. (laughs) But ye shall not be so, but he that is good as among you, let him be as the younger and the chief as he that doth serve. So if you're going to be the greatest, he's saying become the least. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. If you're going to be the greatest, stop wanting to be first and be last. If you want to be the greatest, stop trying to prove that you're the strongest and be the weakest. Oh, come on. Can I get some help right there? If, if you want to be the greatest, show me you know how to become weak. He said, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. But we got too many Christians trying to prove to everybody that they're so strong when they're really so weak. Trying to save face. Oh, no. Some days you just got to tell the truth. I don't know if I'm coming or going. But I'm here. You understand what I'm saying? I, 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 I don't even know how I got here. I got to give all the glory to God because he got me here. Because if I really had to lay it on the table, all the things that I'm dealing with, how I felt like I was about to lose my mind, how I felt like I was about to have a nervous breakdown, I'm still trying to get this thing called ends to me. I ain't got enough money. I got more month than I have money. I don't know how I got here, but the Lord God saw fit to get me in a place to be able to come worship his holy name if you want to be the greatest show me you can be the weakest show me you can be last he says what he says what for whether is greater he that sitteth at me 
Who is greater, the one that sits at the table or the one that serves? He says, is it not the one that sits at the table? True. Customer service is the customer's right. If I'm the one that's being waited on at the table, I'm the one that's in, in greater authority right now. Right? He said, but I am among you as he that serveth. Simply put what he was saying, I'm sitting at this table with y'all, eating dinner with y'all. I know I'm the greatest because I'm the Christ. There is no confusion. I know I am the greatest, but I am serving. And John gives us the imagery of how he's serving. Let me take off my clothes. Yeah, yeah. Let me become vulnerable with you. See, you don't realize how becoming vulnerable with people is you actually serving them. You say how? Because I'm teaching you how to come out of falsehood. The fact that, see, don't get it confused. I'm wrapping the towel around my waist. This is the place of truth. I'm showing you how to walk in nothing but the truth. Be honest about who you are. Be honest about where you are. Because you can play these games, keep deceiving yourself. And guess what? You're going to be in a world of trouble. So don't miss what he's doing. There was no confusion about who he was. He understood he was the Messiah, but yet he became vulnerable. I'm going to show you how to get vulnerable. I'm going to show you how I'm laying down my authority to actually serve. In other words, what he really said is I'm laying down my title. See, I'm not going to let my title get in the way of serving you. When I called you. You got your anointing from me. You were able to go through demonology 101 because of me. You understand working miracles because of me. But guess what? I'm not going to be afraid to lay down my title to serve you. I'm showing you how to get vulnerable. Because vulnerability is good for you. Give me the next verse. He says what? He says, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. Now, you've been with me throughout all of my temptations, but here is the greatest temptation. You know what I believe Jesus' greatest temptation is? It's not even the fact that he knew he was going to endure the cross. I believe Jesus Christ's greatest temptation is to not be heard by those that are the closest to him. You're the ones that say you love me. I call you to a higher life. A higher calling. You know this. You acknowledge this. You are experiencing this. But yet, you can't hear me. Right? Most of us, we struggle when we understand folk cannot hear us. This is what frustrates us. Come on, you got the Holy Ghost. Don't be afraid. Commanded, commanded to go somewhere. 
That's right. You got the Holy Ghost. Y'all be bet, y'all better be glad Jesus didn't decide to come right now. Why that little wall's flying over your head? Some of y'all would have missed heaven. Afraid of the walls. Because he said in the book of Revelation, fearful, they're not getting in. The fact that y'all, <coughs> you better be glad he didn't come. You probably would have missed heaven. He said, and I appointed to you a kingdom as my father have appointed unto me. Listen, I called you with a greater purpose to help advance this kingdom. But yet you can't put your mind on the kingdom because your mind is so on you. Do you understand why the kingdom is not advancing? Because the body can't get the mind off of themselves. And I want you to see the deception in this thing, too. Look how the enemy has deceived the body. Girl, you living your best life. Bro, you living your best life. You don't even understand how hearing you living your best life has kept your mind stayed on you. With the falseness of giving God glory, uh, ain't nobody but God. <laughs> you understand? It, it has got you keeping your mind on you. Living your best life. If that's you, amen, do your thing. I'm just, I'm just saying, you don't see the seriousness of how the enemy is using that to keep you with your mind stayed upon yourself. Because if I were to ask you what you did for the kingdom or what you're doing for the kingdom, this is what you got to understand. Church is not kingdom. Because, see, if you ask people what are you doing for the kingdom of God, people will start telling you what they're doing at church. Well, I greet at church. I usher at church. I sing on the That is not kingdom. I'm an armor bearer. I help my pet. That is not kingdom. The question is, how are you helping to advance the kingdom? If you are not going out compelling those that are lost to come, see, I'm about to get in some trouble. You are not advancing the kingdom. The people that are closest to you, if you're not talking to them about Jesus Christ, if you're not asking whether or not they're saved, so that you are not advancing the kingdom of God on your job, your co-workers. Remember, covenant relationship, that's a working relationship. If you're not checking to see whether or not your co-workers are saved, you are not advancing the kingdom of God. We don't care what you're doing in the church. You are not helping to advance the kingdom of God. Go to 30, and I'm getting ready to get out your way in Jesus' name. He said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. Called his name twice. The urgency of this thing. The importance of this thing. You better grab hold. You better pay attention, Simon. He says, because Satan had desired to have you. The enemy desires to have you. 
since we're on this word desire, in order for you to serve, serving must be a desire of yours. Give me, give me the definitions for desire. I want you to see something. Serving must be a desire of yours. Desire, also meaning willing. You must have a willing mindset and a willing heart to want to serve. But this particular desire, the first definition talks about what, what comes from the Father. See, most of us are unwilling to serve because we never saw our Father serve. Because in our household, yeah, daddy might have went to work and he paid all the bills. As soon as he came home, mama had to bring his plate to him. He couldn't meet mama at the table. Y'all not going to talk to me, but I'm going to talk to you. He couldn't, he wouldn't meet mama at the table. Mama had to bring the plate to his favorite chair, his lazy boy chair. Meet him at his lazy boy chair. Bring his soda water. Bring his bottle water. Bring his cup of water. Bring his beer. Whatever the case she brought. But mother had to meet him where he was. So most of us, we don't have a desire. We're unwilling to serve because we never saw a father serve. If they can't get anything out of it, they were unwilling to do it. I only do it if I can get something from it. Y'all not going to talk to me. What if you never get anything? If you never get any recognition, if nobody never tells you thank you, if nobody ever calls your name, can you still do it? Desire. What comes from the Father? What comes from the spring? There should be a willingness that flows on the inside of you. Yeah, we should be able to say, hey, can you do da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And because there is a spring on the inside of it, meaning there is a consistent flow, there is no blockage. We should see no hesitancy, no reluctancy, no fear. It should just be a yes. What do you need? Yes. It should not be, I can't, you know, no, well, I got to go to work, or no, my puppy dog sick, or, or no, my pinky toe hurt. No, it should be a yes. Most of us do not have a healthy yes. Oh, I'm talking about a healthy yes as it relates to serving. You don't have a healthy yes, a willing yes in your spirit. It is a I don't know uh, if I or maybe can I. No, you need a willing yes in your spirit. Desire willingness, it says what comes from the strong inside. See, guess what? A person who is unwilling to serve. Out of desire or willingness is an insecure. Y'all not going to talk to me, but I'm going to talk to you. That's why most folk don't serve because they're insecure. But the people who are secure because Jesus was so secure in who he was, he didn't have a problem getting intimate with their common dirty place. Baby, I can get down here and wash your dirty feet. I can get down here and wash your feet full of corns. I can get down here and wash your feet with all these cuts and bruises on it. Because guess what? I am so secure in who I am. I understand I'm still the Messiah while I'm down here washing your feet. It doesn't change a thing about me. I'm still the Savior. I'm still the Savior of the whole world. I'm still the son of the most high God but see most of us you feel like when you get that low that it just made that person become this much higher than you you are so in competition you deal so much with comparison no but when you are serving you are so secure in who you are 
Oh, most competition and most comparison is birthed out of insecurity. Y'all not going to talk to me, but I'm going to show help you. You are as competitive as you are because you are so insecure. Or if you ever go and examine yourself, you'll see some of the roots of your competitive nature comes from your insecurities. Because look at what the scripture telling. The scripture telling you, be weak. But you got to prove to everybody how strong you are. The scripture telling you to be meek. But you got to show us just how control, how much of control you have and how much control you are actually in. Mm, y'all, y'all don't want to help me right there, but I'm going to help y'all real good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It speaks to your insecurity as a man. It speaks to your insecurities as a woman. What comes from the strong inside? See, if you don't have a desire or a willingness to serve, it's showing us you don't have a strong inside. Now, this is the Hebraic definition for desire and willingness. Definition number two for desire is talking about uh, desire, where willingness, it should be want. All right? Definition for number two for desire, desire or want. Talks about when a person is hooked. What has you hooked? The thing that you want has hooked you. And even when you study it further out, the end of it or the hooked man in Hebrew cons, it gives the image of a man who is hooked by his mouth. And the thing that is his passion or the thing that is desire, it is the thing that pulls him where it wants him to go. So I'm trying to ask you, what has, what or who has you hooked? If it's not Jesus that has a hook on the inside of you, then what has or who has you hooked? And then guess what? You know you could be the object of someone's desire where you hook them. And see, some of us, we got to be careful because you've been playing with folk emotion. You know you don't want them. Oh, but because you're lonely right now. Because you want somebody to scratch you right now. Because you want somebody to kiss you right now. Because you want somebody to touch you right now. You play with folk emotions. Getting their hopes up. Getting their hopes high. Only to let them come crashing down. I don't want you. I don't want you. You're not my flavor. You're not my type. You better watch it. You better watch it. Take me back to the scripture. He says what? Do you know Satan have desired you? Satan has a passion to hook you? And all he needs to hook you is place. All he needs is an opportunity for you to lend your ear to him. And you thinking he got to enter in. He doesn't need, not need to enter into you. All he needs is for you to give him a willing ear. Oh, yeah. Because he's going to say exactly what you want to hear. Think about how some of us have been hooked. How the enemy hooked you. 
And then Christ had to come unhook you. You see, instead of have desire to have you, that he may sift you as we. This word sift in the Greek is talking about an inward agitation. And for most of us, when we don't display our agitation on the outside, oh, yeah, you can rest assured that it is a, it's, it's an inward agitation happening. We mask our frustration. We mask our anger. We hide it. That's all you think. I was also bound by anger. God delivered me from the spit of anger, too. I know anger like the back of my hand. Right? So you can tell when folk are angry, even when they've learned to master their facial expressions. Because this is a spirit. And when you're a spiritual being, when you're sensitive to the spirit of God, God will show you what to look for. God will say, no, listen, listen. God will say, look, look, look. Watch that right there. Oh, yes. So he's saying, you know what? I want to hook them. Because I already understand that their insides are weak. Because they don't have desire. They cannot capture their desire. So I will frustrate them because they cannot capture their desire. So now it gives me opportunity to hook them and bring them agitation on the inside. Hmm. Our last verse, he says what? But Jesus says, but I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not. I'm about to mess with some of y'all theology right here. I'm about to mess with some of y'all theology right here. Fancy, y'all remember the time we, we had a sermon title called Unlikely Answer Prayers? And we talked about when the enemy prays and God answers the prayer of the enemy. What happens when God the Father doesn't hear Jesus' prayer? We know it's possible because when you move down this same chapter, the Bible said he went. Somebody know what I'm talking about. He went and he prayed to the father. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass. What happens when God the father doesn't answer his holy son's prayer? Now, we know he's talking directly to Peter. We know Peter has faith. I trust you. I'm ready to go wherever you go. I will die with you and for you. We know he has faith. Jesus prayed a prayer, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith failed not. Oh, his faith failed him. In other words, Jesus' prayer did not get answered at the appointed time. Because Jesus had already told him, listen, before this rooster crows, you're going to deny me. Mm-mm, mm-mm, no, I won't. You got the wrong disciple, Jesus. Not me. Probably John, but not me. Or Matthew, but not me. Did you see the Christ pray for him? He said, I pray that your faith. He didn't say, I'm praying that the Father keep you. (laughs) He said, I pray that your faith does not fail you. 
I'm messing with your theology. What happens when God the Father does not answer his holy son's prayer? Because when you move throughout the scripture, after Jesus prayed that prayer three times, and those soldiers came and got him, the scripture then lets us know, they go one rooster, they go the rooster crowing one time, two times, three times. And then the Bible talks about how Jesus then looked at him after the rooster crowed his third and final time. That look was like, I told you, I tried to tell you. Hallelujah. He did the Mordia. Hallelujah. I tried to tell you. Not in a prideful way. You have faith for everything but this truth. You have faith for the good prophetic words. Those prophetic words that say, hey, God is going to bless you. God is going to let you have all this money and God's going to, you know, prosper you, prosper your household, prosper your children. But you don't utilize your faith when God said, listen, you're going to have a season where you're walking in the valley, in the low places, in the dark places. You're going to have a season of obscurity. See, we don't have faith for that. You're like, mm, I speak prophetic to that. Mm -mm, the devil is a lie. Mm, I bind it. I don't. And this is the most famous one. I don't receive that. Right? But I'm, I'm messing with your theology to show you. He said, I have prayed for thee that that faith fail thee not. But before you get to the end of the verse, no. His faith failed him. And then the scripture says, and when thou art, and Jesus is telling him, and when you actually get converted for real, because see, you've been walking with me for three years, and you're still not converted. You've been out here preaching and you still not change. You've been out here laying hands and you still not change. You've been out here prophesying, you still not change. You've been casting out devils and you still not change. You've been out here actually performing miracles and you still not change. Oh, you've been causing the blinded eyes to open and you still not change. You've been preaching in my name and you still not change. Does it sound like anybody right here? He said, but when you get converted, when you change for real, converted is talking about when your mind changes for real. Because see, right now, Peter, it's just lip service. But I'm praying that your faith will not fail you. Oh. See, sometimes you have to go through a failing process and understand the, understand the grace that God has given you to actually pray for you, to actually understand the value of faith. See, sometimes faith has to fail you for you to understand the value of your faith. Sometimes faith has to fail you to understand the value of a truth that God has spoke to you. Right? He was speaking nothing but the truth to him. And he still could not believe him. He said, but when you get changed for real, because Christ already foreseen what was going to happen. You're going to deny me. But I've already seen. You're going to have a moment where it's going to deal with you. 
You're going to be so convicted. Oh, yeah. See, faith has to fail you right here so that when that moment in your life arises that you're going to be so convicted. You're going to say, whatever you got to do, but change me, Lord. When I get up out of this, God, I will never return back to this. But I'm going to repent for real, God. The house that you're bringing me out of, God, I'm going to burn down every road, God. I'm going to burn down every bridge, God. A matter of fact, I'm going to burn down the entire house, God, that I can return back. I cannot return back to a God. All I know, God, is when you deliver me, God, I will never go back to that thing. When you set me free, God, I will never give it place to bind me up again, God. When you do it, God. See, some of us still need that, that moment, that real convicted moment where you get converted for real and you rise up and your life never is the same. He said, but don't you stop there. After you get changed and your mindset changes, strengthen your brothers. Serve your brothers. Be what they need. After you get delivered, serve your sisters. Be what they need. Now that God has delivered you, all the men, all the women, serve the younger saints. Help us. Stop acting like you're too busy. Help us for the sake of the kingdom. But then it would not be fair if I don't say, okay, young people, you have to want to be helped. Stop thinking you know everything because you don't. Full of pride, you think you know everything and you don't. And then there I say there was some 50 plus 5, 40 plus 3s, 60 plus 6s. You don't know everything. Yes, you've lived longer than some of us, but guess what? God has given some of us a wisdom without the many years of being on this earth. It takes a hood. And in reality, when I'm saying hood, I'm talking about the village people the body we need one another how and I encourage you figure out how you can strengthen your fellow sister figure out how you can strengthen your brother pray ask God God show me how can I strengthen my brother Sometimes it's as simple as God would give you a word of encouragement for them. God would drop them in your spirit to tell you to call and check on them. Text them. That was you strengthening your brother or your sister. Y'all, we need it. If the kingdom is going to be advanced, the body must function properly. This is the kingdom of God suffered violence. The violent take it by force. What is the scripture? That's one of the scriptures that has has puzzled me for a long time. But it's saying for those of us that God has brought out. And once you have now encountered the kingdom, I violently grab hold to the kingdom and I don't let it go. I move with such a force within the kingdom. As the kingdom is progressing that I don't. Let it go. Because you know one thing about the kingdom. The kingdom moves with tremendous force. 
And if your grip is not strong enough, it can become easy to lose your grip of the kingdom. Finally, take it by force. Grab hold of the kingdom in such a violent manner that regardless of how forcefully the kingdom is moving, you don't lose your grip. Amen? All right, come on, put your hands together for the word in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.